It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor, as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. And today, Jeremy, we're going to actually get into a part of the work that doesn't really get talked about a lot, and that's the gig economy, uh, something that you and I have had some experience with looking at uh, remote and hybrid work, and also kind of timely because I just saw a couple of days ago on the news that a lot of the major corporations who were, you know, allowing their employees to work remotely or work in a hybrid environment, uh, they're now demanding they come back to the office. And so, you know, the report is they're waiting to see how many people actually do that and how many people are just going to leave because they've really enjoyed the way they're working. So where are we headed today? We're going to head to a lot of places today, like we normally do. We've got some. We've got two great uh, research articles, and, I, and I'll share what those particular ones are. But what you said in the beginning made me think of a couple things because, as you as your first start started the talk, and we talk about the gig economy. What did it used to be called when you when you have a side job for side us job. older folks? <laughs> Moonlighting, right? Yeah. Right, where you take a second job. So it's it's it almost made me think of that and. There are so many new opportunities and new opportunities that are uh, falling into what people are already doing into their their schedule already. I bought a I bought a, a new laptop for the first time in over a decade recently, uh, like last weekend, and I was waiting for it to be delivered. And I'm just used to like a FedEx tracking number or UPS tracking number, <clears throat> so I go to look at it. And it's this thing called Rody, which I've never heard of before. Apparently, it's a UPS company or it's a FedEx company. And it's just a person who goes to the place to pick it up and then they deliver it. I've, I've never heard of that. Maybe other people in other areas have. But you can get, I, I looked it up because I was interested because this podcast is coming up. 
you can get $13 to deliver a package locally. So if you're, you know, going to a doctor's appointment 20 minutes away, you can look it up. Is there anything near me? You can drop by like, um, you know, like an appliance store or wherever, and then just deliver it. Now we all know, of course, you've got, we've got grocery delivery is a huge thing now, right? You can get groceries delivered from almost any grocery store now. So we get those kinds of things. And we have, uh, like Lee said, Uber Eats and all these other companies for delivering food. But now it's it's going out to more, like electronic stores. It's basically like obviously UPS, a smaller uh, having a smaller roadie company. But you can also do if you're going to do a road trip. Let's say you're going to go through a couple of different states. You can just look up and find along your route. You could deliver ten packages and pay for your gas on the way to your road trip because you get paid more obviously as well for even long trips. So your final destination package might be. I don't know, worth like 20 bucks or something like that. So there's all kinds of opportunities. We looked into, we've got some articles today. One is called From Surviving to Thriving in the Gig Economy, a Research Agenda for Individuals in the New World of Work. This is from the Journal of Research and Organizational Behavior um, by Ashford, uh, Kaza, and Reed. And the difference, a lot of people ask, what's the difference between organizational behavior and industrial organizational psychology? There's not... Obviously, there's more of this this the psych based. If you're looking at IO psych, generally though, when you look at the types of concepts that are looked at through organizational behavior, there's a lot of um, uh, there's tons of similarities. Academically, the main difference is organizational behavior classes are taught in your the your management like your business side of a college where your IO psych is going to be taught in your social social sciences type. So that's why I like this is because it is from an organizational behavior journal. And the other one we're going to look at is called why do consumers appreciate, I'm sorry, what do consumers appreciate about the on-demand economy workers? This is from psychosociological issues and human resource management, which is a very long name for a, a journal. Uh, author is Gonzalez. So to start out, what we're seeing, which is, of course, what we love, is people are, these researchers are going and they're getting plenty of data so we can start to understand. What we pull from these two particular articles are, are A, what do customers appreciate? Um, and then B, what are the different per, like personal traits, characteristics, skills that are needed to be successful in the gig economy? And we're going to take this wherever we want to today. I imagine it's going to fold into the world of current work now, different issues that um, uh, can be like the same types of issues that can be applied for different jobs. Because let's face it, a gig economy job in many cases might be like a non-gig economy job. There's, of course, the differences the differences in terms of uh, like entrepreneurialism and, and those kinds of things. So I did want to I did want to highlight there is this one particular actually before I highlight Tom, let me put it back to you because you might have a question or a thought. I've got several questions and thoughts. Um, some of them are good. Let me ask you a couple of them here because you know the couple of things that flash through my mind is you know we we are seeing even companies who you know I have a company I used to have an accountant now I'm actually instead of them being an employee I just hire them as a gig employee. They come in, they do my accounting, they have three other clients as well. Um, we also have situations, though, where I'm in my office and I work for the company, but the person over there, uh, that's a gig economy 
that's that's someone who's in the gig economy. They come in here maybe for a few weeks, maybe for a project, and and then they're gone. And how do you manage that? And then finally, you know, we talk about IO psychology and how they can come in and work with organizations to improve them. Is there a little niche in IO psychology that is the gig worker coach that can give me some insight in in how to be more successful in the gig economy? And I'm thinking, you know, a lot about your negotiation skills, Jeremy. That's <laughs> and that's an interesting because we talk about these niche areas in IO psych. So that is not a bad. I'm sorry, that is a good if you're starting out an IO or you're starting a consulting business or you're looking into like, you know, what am I, what is going to be my sole area of focus or one of my sole areas of focus, that's a good niche area to get into. So if that kind of thing is is interesting, why not become that expert by doing the research, by doing some studies, by working with organizations to better understand because that it it, it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon and organizations are already doing it. Like you said, it used to be, uh, see the gig economy, it's, it's different. It used to be your, your temporary workers, like your temp staffing. Right. And then, but the good news is, is there's tons of research on that already and what that looks like. How do you make them feel included? How do you make them feel included in the culture, even though they're hired through somebody else and the company is paying, you know, probably four to five times to the staffing agency than the, the person's actually getting to work there. It's on a temporary basis, but the company looks at it on, on a, a cost basis because they don't have to, they don't have to, there's no 401ks, there's no salaries, there's no this, there's no that, there's all this stuff. So it does make sense. When you look at the at the the gig economy, we have these individuals, you know, we can, you know, go between like freelance and, and gig, however we want to really describe. But there's a couple things that show they're more highly specialized in these certain areas. So staffing agencies will look, you know, and Linda Ann, I'm sure you have a a lot of experience and info to share here in terms of like uh, temporary staffing. But, you you know, generally you've got a broad set of skills and they pick based on your broad set of skills and they they match you with the job. With the gig economy, you're usually being very specific, um, especially like with the workers that may have been brought in to work with you very specific in terms of what their skill sets are because they've really identified that and they've gone on to something like uh, i think there's like freelancer.com and there's fiverr and there's all kinds of ones out now but they're looking at like what are my specific areas and what can i specifically offer so i'll share so yeah it's, it's a great niche area to get into as of right now i don't know anyone who specializes tom to answer your question in gig economy stuff from from a, a an organizational uh, workplace perspective i'll get to this real qu- uh, this one study finding before we move on and i'll pull it back to you before we get into the other article but there's um so these researchers looked at this was 2016 so the numbers are probably a lot different now but there's there was something called TaskRabbit, which I was unfamiliar with. And there was another one they looked at. But I'm going to read this. What they did is they looked at different themes and they took reviews, people that reviewed the, the gig workers on TaskRabbit. And they had a total of over 100,000 words. And they looked and found a total of 7,000 positive, different positive and 41 negative adjectives were found. Then they classified them into two groups and they were able to find that basically like one group of the positive adjectives, basically this is what they're looking for. Workers' attitudes towards consumers, 
interpersonal skills and their behaviors or characteristics, like if they're helpful, friendly, polite. So this is basically saying if you're going to be a gig worker, focus on these things. The second group included different types of the, the qualifications and how they rated the particular worker's performance. And these adjectives were more towards um, efficient, thorough, knowledgeable. And they also found other words that were related, highlighting the, the level of excellence, which were <laughs> pretty standard words, amazing, awesome, fantastic, excellent. And in, they looked at also the like how hard they're working, their energy, their enthusiasm, their flexibility, their resourcefulness, um, and then individual characteristics like creativity and intelligence. So they looked through all these numbers, pulled everything out, themed them up, and it's nice because now we have this article. If someone's looking to get into the gig economy, they can say, hey, look, this is what drives uh, clients of gig workers to share the pot to share the positive comments or the positive reviews and ratings. And this is what showed up the most. Therefore, it's likely that this is what's most important to them. Now, of course, it's it's not rocket science. We're not like there's no nothing here that's saying, wow, we didn't really understand this or know this. But what my mind goes to is if these are the characteristics that customers of the gig economy, it's important to them, would it not be true that this is what's important to your you know, regular companies in terms of what their customers are looking for? And if you're leading in a regular company, how, how do you create some kind of uh, metrics or training program to say, look, our customer facing uh, employees, what can we do to help emulate these skills that seem important? Can we draw a parallel there? Are these things important? Uh, back over to you, Tom. Yeah, that's very interesting. And we've got some hands coming up. So Lee, let's go to you. You know, one of the interesting things I found about discussions like this is, you know, you know, words matter. And and gig economy means different things to different people. And you know, because some people talk about like, you know, your Uber, your Lyft, you know, things like that as being a gig economy. And in some ways it is, except that you are sub you're contracting out to someone like Uber and then you're providing a service and then you're you're paid by you know the mechanism that you're paid. Um and the you know when I think gig economy, what I think of is you know Tom has a need and I make a bid and say, Tom, I can meet that need. I can do it within a week. And this is what it's going to cost you. And Tom says, great, we have a deal. So I provide it and he pays me for a service. So, you know, then it's not a payroll thing. It's a, it becomes a different kind of thing. You know, you're, you're more of an independent thing. So in that case, then I would need the, I would need all the things, right? You know, the, the, the business number and the tax ID and all those kind of things, because now I am running a business. It just happens to be in little snippets. It's kind of like being a consultant on a smaller, but on a smaller level um, versus something like, you know, an Uber where I'm working for them as a contractor. They're providing me a 1099 and it's going as income tax. So there's there's other things that go into this. And and uh, a lot of things people don't understand because, you know, you just go onto one of these websites and go, yeah, I'm going to do this, this tech writing job. Well, there are tax implications and stuff that people don't all you know necessarily realize that are involved there because you are operating as a business at that point, you know. And 
you know, and an interesting thing that you said earlier about the temporary workers, you know, when I did my internship during my, my master's, uh, I was working for an industrial plant that we were forbidden to hire people. But man, I could bring in as many temp workers as I wanted because they didn't count as payroll. They were an expense on a different line on on the, the, the sheet. So, you know, one of my guys says, I need a welder. I call up my guy at the staff company and says, I need a welder. And they send them and they work. And because they didn't count as employees, they didn't count against payroll or headcount. And so that was a whole that was a whole different thing there. Uh, that was kind of an eye opening for, you know, a young grad student. But uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I got some smart people in line behind me. So I'll uh, I'll shut up and let them talk. Yeah, the gig economy might not be for everyone. And, um, you know, it's like everything else. You know, let the games begin and uh, let's see how we can take this to our advantage. Uh, and that's going to be played on both sides. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I I love the gig economy. I think it provides a ton of opportunity for people. I think that businesses can really benefit from it. You know, there are, as Lee said, some real requirements to using people um, that are not employees. And I've worked with companies where they just want to say that they want to just bring somebody in under contract and just hire them for three months or hire them, um, whatever. There's more to it, as Lee said, than that. If you bring somebody on in those under those circumstances as an independent contractor, because that's what they are, or they're a vendor, um, if you're, you cannot tell them how to do the work and they can't use your equipment. So you cannot go ahead, go into that office, use their computer because the government is aware of how companies will use that. And you have to function as an outside contractor where you're providing a result, an end product. So example, if you have hire somebody to come in to do your carpet cleaning, you don't tell them how to do it and you don't give them the equipment to do it. You just want clean carpets and that's what you're paying for. And it's the same thing with bringing other people in from the outside. So you have to be very careful. There's a, uh, the IRS has a list of 25 things, 25 criteria that define whether or not you are an independent contractor. And it's important that you adhere to that. So as a, if you want to be a gig worker, you have to understand what those are for yourself as well, so that you are not creating a, a situation. And it can really, as someone said in the chat, you know, people want to use this as a way to not take responsibility for their employees. And so that what that's another reason why the the, the IRS has those restrictions. I do I I'm a big proponent of using temporary workers. We use temp agencies like I'm working with a client right now who isn't sure if they need that administrative person in their company yet. So let's go ahead and hire somebody, do a temp to perm from a temporary agency, see how that works out. Do you really, are they really taking enough off your plate and, and do that kind of experiment? Do you need to fill that position? If they work out, then we can hire you, those kinds of things. But you do really need to be careful with how you're, executing that gig work. Right. Do, do the employees also have to be, you know, as you said, do they have to be cautious when they step into that office environment about what they're being asked to do? Because I can see it being a fine line where if, you know, as a gig worker, I wanted to bring in an IO, for example, three month contract, 
do I have to give them an office space or am I going to get in trouble with the IRS or, you know, how does that even work? You don't have to give them an, an office space at all. In fact, you need to really double check and make sure um, it depends on whether or not you're requiring that, right? If you're saying you need to be here, it's three months and you need to be here from nine to five, that's a whole different story than if the person says, can I have some office space? Cause I want to interview employees. Right. All right. Thank you very much for that. Three scariest letters in the English language, IRS. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. This is such an interesting topic of conversation. First, I think it's important to remember that before the Industrial Revolution, this is how most of the work was performed. People were not employed by others as much as they are now. And so we're kind of looking at this as a new thing, but it's not a new thing at all. We are going back to our roots, if you will, and and we're rediscovering it. But what Linda Ann brought up is now, now there are regulations and laws and rules and the scary IRS and nobody wants to get into trouble. <clears throat> so it brings a different highlight onto this idea of gig economy or gig work, uh, whatever we want to call it. But there are pros and cons for both sides, for the organization and for the individual. And that's not just the individual who is working as, as this outside party, but also individuals who are part of the organization, who are employed permanently by that organization. So everybody is affected by it, which then gives us as IOs a unique opportunity to make sure that all of that is handled properly and addressed properly, because nothing exists without leaving some kind of effect on it. But if you look at it, some people will be pro-gig economy, some people will be against it. I think as we move forward, as we're rediscovering this new way of working, we have to remember that it's unlikely that we'll have this complete switch and the old way of doing things will go away because there are plenty of people, be that individuals or organizations, that want to do it on a, a more permanent basis where we hire employees, people want jobs with benefits, they feel secure in that they're not interested in the gig economy, whereas others are. They like the freedom, they like the ability to work when they want to and not work when they don't want to work. There is a whole movement for work-life balance. We have discovered that through this crazy industrial revolution, we lost that balance. We lost the sanity of what is the purpose of work. Um, and, and work took over the lives of so many people. And I think that's part of why this gig economy is coming back. So there are so many moving parts here, which again, it's not going to be for everybody. It's not going to make the old way of doing business go away. We have to figure out how to blend it all together so that everybody's getting what they need and want out of it. But it's a new opportunity for IOs to help everybody play nicely and to stay within the rules, regulations, and, and laws that may be applicable. You know, that's what I appreciate so much about IO psychologists, and you know, especially you, Dr. Martha, is we are in a changing world and changing work environment. I'm sure, you know, during the Industrial Revolution, nobody sat there and went, 
hey, it's the industrial revolution. Things are changing. Um, and, you know, we're going through it once again. You know, it's hard to see the forest for the trees. And then an IO psychologist comes along and goes, oh, yeah, that's a cedar tree. And you go, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, you know, thank you very much, you know, all you IOs, for uh, giving us some guidance as we try to chart this course. Uh, Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, I think the, the concept of, of gig economy, you know, it does span a wide variety from full-blown contract to somebody downloading Uber driver on their phone and things like that. So there's a breadth of, you know, specialties and opportunities. Uh, the one thing that jumps out to me a little bit is, you know, you think about something like Uber Eats or DoorDash, they have done a phenomenal job of branding and have really come out and they are the company. And now you've got this weird intersection where particularly uh, with our restaurant, you know, the driver is somebody who's not connected to us at all. Um, we have no idea, you know, when they're going to come pick things up or how it's going to get delivered, if they're going to sneak a bite of food on the way out. But to the consumer, all of a sudden, it's our fault as the restaurant that provided the food that all of these things happened. So there's kind of this blurring of the lines of who is responsible um, both from the consumer standpoint of, okay, is it the, the app provider? Is it the individual contractor? Is it the, the store they're delivering from? Um, and even on the other side, from the organizational point, like who's taking care of whom? We know that this is an advantage because they don't have to provide as many of the benefits and things like that. Um, but, you know, are there any measures in place for the safety or secure income of anybody doing this? I think a lot of people will get into these apps, services, and think, I'm going to be rich and I'm going to work on my own schedule. Well, no, you've got to maintain your vehicle. You've got to you know, shift your schedule. You're, you're at the whim of, of the pay structure that's, that's in your city at that time. And so you'll find people who are on all three apps all at once trying to consolidate. Um, and even there's a secondary market where you know people will track the apps and say, okay, this is the hotspot, you know, pull up this app here, that app there. And, you know, it sounds like chaos. There's a way to make it work. Uh, but I just think that that, that is not my mentality um, as far as, as my world of work goes. Um, and I often see that it is people who may have trouble getting roles otherwise, where it's marginal people or where English is a second language that are these drivers. They're very polite. They're very friendly. They want to do hard work, but this may be the only thing that they can find. Yeah. And they could be just barely surviving, but they're still happy and pleasant, which is wonderful. <laughs> and as you say, and, you know, I'm sitting here remembering. I'm old enough to remember when technology was supposed to make our lives easier in the future. It's really just made it more complicated. Um, Rich, let's go to you. Yeah. As I was preparing for this uh, discussion, I was looking uh, for research on uh, fractional employees. So when I talk about fractional employees, I'm talking about really executives, which has been uh Less of a fad, more of a trend um, over the last few years. Uh, if you've, anybody's heard of like a fractional CIO or a fractional CMO, you know, those types of things. And one of the things that I've, I'm have i curious about, and I don't have answers to this, I'm, I'm bringing this up because it is something I think that could be um, researched, you know, Traditionally, you have consultants that come in and, and uh, you know, a consultant acts as in an advisory role typically, right? But you have people now that are coming, stepping into an executive role that is in this kind of gig space, right? Where they're coming in and they're working part-time for four or five different companies at, at a time. Um, 
And I'm I'm kind of curious myself about uh what effect that might have on things like organizational commitment, on um how uh group dynamics work uh when you have somebody who is you know in a in a leadership position that is not uh you know wholly uh you know part of part of that organization in, in, a, in a full-time role and the thing is i i've seen this work very well um i'm just curious about how that dynamic works you know so i i don't really have answers to it i just thought i'd bring that into the conversation because you know we we talk about the gig economy being you know delivery drivers we talk about it being uh, you know, I, I, I got my start in graphics, you know, so I was, I was a freelance graphic designer. I still do freelance work as a, as a web designer sometimes, you know, and so all of that, uh, th those kinds of production roles have been, uh, you know, um, outsourced and, and, and part-time work, but we now have executive roles being in there too. So I'm just curious how, uh, how that uh, is going to play out how it plays out now, but how it's going to play out. But I just think the research, the body of research out there right now seems to be a little light on that subject. Yeah, I could have a contract with Coke and another contract with Pepsi, um, <laughs> which would be really interesting. Um, Rich, let me ask you if, you know, with the work that you've been doing, as you've been just talking about, have you ever considered yourself a member of the gig economy or is it, you know, a little bit like me with, you know, consulting with executives on speech and presentations where, oh, wow, look at that. I'm a member of the gig economy. Uh, so where do you stand on that? No, that's a good question. I, I I think I have been part of the gig economy to say even so whether it's been, you know, I'm working for somebody nights and weekends, I'm doing, you know, a you know, side gig or, uh, you know, whatever you would call that, right? Or, uh, you know, there have been times where I have gone and struck out on my own, you know, so I, I do think I've been part of that. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who, who are part of that, uh, and, and, you know, it's contract work. So yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it's definitely been, been a part of my life for quite a few years. <laughs> Dr. Matthew, let's go to you. So as I'm listening to everybody share uh, their insights, really what I come back to when it comes to how the rise of the gig economy impacts organizations, like so many answers in IO psychology, it depends. So when we as IO experts and consultants are working with clients, sometimes there might be conversations around, do we need to hire more? Does it make sense to bring more people into the organization? Can we afford long-term impacts of hiring full-time or even part-time employees because even a part-time employee brings on more of a financial liability than that temporary or that gig employee that gig worker um, that can lead into and gig work uh, gig work gig worker opportunities can be great ways of data collection is hiring more the appropriate option is it optimal is it beneficial to the organization um, it also, gig, gig workers are a great way for organizations to try new ideas without that long-term commitment or too much of a uh, putting too much out there and, and, and exposing themselves to something that they may not be able to sustain. Linda Ann gave great examples of that kind of try it out for a little bit and see how this works. And Dr. Martha even talked about the freedom for the workers. So on the workers' side, the freedom for the workers who, particularly those who choose that that freedom, that flexibility, that balance that they have defined, 
that gig economy is allowing them that freedom and that choice to say, here's when I want to work, here's how I want to work. Um, so really, for me, benefits of the gig economy, there's there's a variety of benefits and, uh, of, of aspects uh, and benefits to the work. The work and it's our job as organization, as I as organization consultants, when we're we- dealing with our clients, when we're working with them, to understand what is what makes sense for you, what benefit would would most support your effort. Uh, thank you very much for that, Dr. Matthew. You were breaking up a little bit, but I think we got everything. Uh, Jeremy, let me come back to you, especially since your hand's up. Uh, but also, you know, as Dr. Matthew was describing that, it, you know, I, I look at it the other side is from, you know, from the worker's point of view. And, you know, here I am becoming a more mature worker. And if I think of, you know, a lot of older workers, they have this knowledge and expertise. Well, I might want to hit 60 and become a member of the gig economy because I want to bring my expertise to your organization, but I don't actually want to work for you uh, because, uh, you know, this will give me a bit more freedom to start enjoying life more. And, you know, as an older worker, I might not retire at 65 if I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I might work for another 10 years. So do you think that as we're moving forward, we're going to see more older workers take advantage of this? I would hope so. It's almost like a perfect world scenario, you know, as we get older and older to be able to do what we love is is passion projects on the side, pick when we want to do it, how much we want to do and not be confined. Um, There are so many people that uh, retire and they just get bored and then they go back into work. They they might start a side consulting business. Um, Interesting on that. There was when I was looking at articles for, for today. There was one specific to research on age discrimination and the, and the gig economy. So there, there's research out there. I didn't look at the article, um, but that would be, of course, interesting to to look at. But my answer would be, you know, why not? <laughs> um, uh, as looking through this, uh, I want to highlight this other article because there's so it's such a good article, and this is the one. From Surviving to Thriving in the Gig Economy Research Agenda for Individuals in the New World of Work. This is, it's so it's about, it's 19 pages long, probably, you know, call it 13 pages of content. It's great. There's diagrams. One of the most rich things here, and this is one of the things we get excited about. When you look at the the reference section, we that's our version of data mining. We're looking at like, what are the other articles and studies that have been done based on this topic that the authors of this particular research article looked at in order to uh, make sure they 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 know all they can. There has got to be, there are three and a half pages of condensed references. There has got to be almost 400, I did some quick, probably bad math, 400 references of articles on this topic related to everything that's in here. So starting out, just going back to this, they do have a, I think it's a pretty beneficial diagram to start getting us on a baseline of some of the, you know, we can call them pros and cons or just differences. One juxtaposes the old world of work versus the new world of work. So when you look at the new world of work, and of course, for this article, they're looking at the gig economy, freelancing, there is higher financial job instability and job insecurity. However, there's higher job autonomy. Of course, there's also higher with the new world of work. There's higher career path uncertainty higher work transients, and higher physical and relational separation. And when you look at 
uh, there's also different challenges that are associated with it, like different emotional challenges, um, relational challenges, like the the loneliness of it. And then there's identi- identity challenges that they put along with career path anxiety in terms of identity complexity, precariousness, and personalization. When we're at work, a lot of people have, I shouldn't say a lot of people, there's some people that have their their work, I like their work uh, persona, and then their at-home persona. <laughs> They're just completely different people, which is fine because we have that identity because we uh, have our, our work identity, right? We're talk differently. We might be more polished. We have different thoughts, of course. And then so, but that can, it, it might be hard to separate that. And we talk about work-life balance. There's also things in this article that share some of the, uh, I guess, negatives about it. I'll read verbatim here. Workers are on their own to create and maintain their own job security, training, learning, and finances. Success is more ambiguous and uncertain, and workers are tasked with building their own brand and work identity and connecting with others in a meaningful ways. They give the the silver bullet here of if you're going to be a gig economy worker, how to approach it. What they they start off with a, a nice little narrative. They say, okay, look, take Bob and Jill, two independent graphic designers. Bob has a day or two a month where he feels insecure about his employment. He wakes up worried and on and on. His anxiety met, manifests at the end of the month, sleeplessness, agitation, etc. Jill, however, graphic designer, finds herself energized by the variety of work. Each contract's an opportunity to learn fresh routines and practice new skills. She embraces her downtime as a chance to grow other elements of her life. One is surviving and one is thriving. And looking at the different capabilities and actions that drive results as a gig economy worker, the authors of this research article break down the behaviors and some may bleed into uh, potential traits that can be very help to be very effective. Before I, I, I want to share what a couple of those traits are. Um, but here's a, uh, some of the negative aspects that can potentially creep in if you're a, a gig worker. Uh, you've got negative strain, anxiety, increased psychological dysfunction, and and so forth. There was act- there was a study in uh, looks like 2018. Large study of UK magicians working independently found that approximately 71% reported high levels of anxiety. And 68% reported high levels of depression, which was mostly attributed to their to the precarious and unstable nature of their work. Um, they also suffered from lack of organization, uh, facing persistent produced by viability. Let me skip that part. I want to jump over to the good stuff, right? So with Jill, she was able to fend off, in the example, she's able to fend off some of the negative stuff. And she defined her thriving looking at forward-facing uh psychological states basically like we said before there's an an aliveness in her craft and she's learning that she's reading about it she's developing it using her off time to hone in on how she deliver it delivers it and takes all those interactions even the ones that aren't the best one is learning experiences perhaps in terms of client acquisition and lastly, I'll turn it back over to you. Some of the necessary behaviors. Resilience is a big one. Uh, how do you effectively adapt to disturbances? Re- resilience on its face is having a variety of responses to challenges in our life. Being proactive, 
um, having relational agility and being able to have relational support management. How do you manage everyone in your network, everyone that's important to, to what you're doing? They also get into critical underlying capabilities, which since everyone can access this article, I'll just the I won't get into the bullets, but you have cognitive, of course, and emotional. And then the big parts of the success, you're looking at learning, uh, learning, vitality, and of course, getting to that state of financial well-being to be able to have something in the coffers that you can think about from time to time when you've got those down moments, when you have a tough client, uh, you know, something that doesn't go well or you lose a client. Um, the thing with one last thing is, I don't know, someone told me once, if you're a if you're a freelancer or if you're in the gig economy type thing, or if you have, let's say your own, well, let's just call it a consulting business. If you're at work and you get fired, there's only, there's only one client that has to fire you. And that's the company that you work with. But if you're a freelancer, you've got to have a lot of people fire you in order for you to be out of work. If you have a large client clientele. So there is, there does seem to be when you've when you've got more successful freelancers working in the gig economy, if you can build up that clientele, there's more less career uncertainty there and more job stability because everyone would have to fire you. But of course, it's not good to get you know quote unquote fired by anybody because then of course you've got you know your one star reviews or your bad publicity or word of mouth that doesn't go well. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed as always, but this is, uh, the, the, the comments from everyone, the insights just been absolutely amazing. Tom, over to you. So if you are working in the gig economy and you need some coaching, contact Seabock uh, <laughs> because the work has already begun. Uh, Madeline, let's go to you. Hey, so something I've been thinking about is how, you know, Gig-based work may seem relatively new to us, but there's whole professions and even industries that have been operating largely on a gig-based economy for decades. I mean, think of the work of musicians, artists, writers, entertainers. Many of the people in these professions, you know, have been working freelance, and that's a large part of their work. So there's an opportunity for us to look at these industries for insights on potential best practices and how a gig economy may look like for other industries. You know, for example, consider the topic of healthcare. Most people in the United States, at least, have their healthcare paid for by their company. But if you're self-employed, you'll likely be paying out of pocket for these services. So in the entertainment industry, uh, there are nonprofit organizations like the Rescue Foundation, which helps support the medical needs of Renaissance Festival participants. Um, and to me, what this shows is kind of the importance of maintaining a sense of solidarity between those in our community and the potential need to create new support systems as more of us move towards more gig-based work. You know, I never thought about that until you mentioned it. Um, if you're looking for a coach in the gig economy, maybe talk to the actor on the panel. Uh, <laughs> And then I'll direct you to an IO psychologist. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I want to go back to uh, the topic Rich uh, brought up, and that was the fractional executives, these fractional employees, and basically how consultants can 
they they would in some way be a, a finite consultant or um, a structured consultant for some companies. The advantage to that is one of the things that's a downside to a consultant and oftentimes is you go in, you help them diagnose issues, give them recommendations, and you walk away. You never see the result, right? So the the advantage of being a fractional executive um, is is on both sides of the coin. One, the the executive gets to see the result, they get to implement and and see progress and and get that satisfaction. Um, The other side of it is the company gets to reap the expertise of someone at a price they can afford, right? You don't, if you're working for a company that's 30 or 35 employees, they may need that, you know, chief technology officer to really get them um, up and running and, and get them, uh, to where they need to be technologically. Um, and so I think it really is a, a plus on both sides. The challenge there is, is depending on the type of executive you are, doing that within the same town for different companies, especially if you have a niche, right? If you're a chief marketing officer and you're a fractional employee, do I, I don't want to hire you if you're also working for other companies in my industry. You know, so you have to be as the the employer, you need to be careful. And as the the fractional executive, you have to be very um, diplomatic and and make sure you're, you've got your non-disclosures and you've got a lot of ethics in that process. So um, I think there's I think it's great. And 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 I would love to see more of it. I think there's there's a couple landmines in there that you have to be careful about <laughs> navigating. Hey, absolutely true. And maybe you can use it to your advantage. Uh, Coke wants to pay me this much, but Pepsi, how much are you willing to pay me? Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Sam's determined to start a war between Coke and Pepsi today. So I too wanted to go back to Rich's point of gig economy at the executive level, because we don't see that as often. And there's no mystery to that. First of all, there are a lot fewer executives in the world than there are non-executives. That's just numbers. So we're not going to see as many. But you have to consider what that may look like. We have as an executive, as a leader who has the skill, who has the experience, um, what I'm seeing is sometimes these are people who have retired from full-time jobs and they don't want to just sit around and do nothing. They want to continue to contribute, but their idea of meaningful contribution is not to be a, a Walmart greeter, for example, but rather to draw from their own knowledge and experience. And they may get involved in this gig economy on an executive level. One of the things that I've also seen is that there tend to be two things that contribute to someone working at that level in a in a gig economy kind of format is uh, people who have a reputation for getting things done. When you have that reputation that can be priceless and companies can really go for that, can really use that kind of expertise and experience. And as Linda Ann brought up, sometimes smaller companies can't afford to bring on a highly paid executive to work there indefinitely, but rather benefit from their knowledge and experience on a shorter um, uh, time basis. The other part of it is there's a lot of who you know to this 
type of work, especially at that level. Not only is it good if your reputation precedes you for getting things done and having things, um, getting things accomplished, but also it truly is a network. People will recommend you. People talk about you. People will tell you of opportunities. And I think while that is something that happens at any level in terms of gig economy, I see that at the executive level a lot as well. Yeah, I can tell you as an actor, there's all those, you know, Here's the upcoming auditions, but if you have a good network, you hear before those postings come out, <laughs> which you know, I always loved. Uh, Dr. Raina, let's go to you. Hello. Um, and I just wanted to you know, point out hearing success stories from organizations and companies that have you know, been successful with integrating gig, you know, gig workers is also essential to hearing their lived experiences, make it see how they successfully um, integrated these people in their workspaces, um, because that will be able to allow us to have best best practices um, in the on demand st- um, side of things as well. So um, that is something that I always like to you know hear those lived experiences and open ended um, you know responses kind of gives you a little bit better insight on how to integrate them within these workspaces. Yeah, that's very good advice and and. We should really maybe just even look to reach out to some of those companies that are you know, using the gig economy, and uh, they would give us some fascinating insight. Um, Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, I think there's one thing that's that's jumping out to me. You know, we talk about kind of trying to you. It's hard enough to keep an employee engaged when you have you know have them by the benefits, so to speak, when they're there every day and and they're beholden and there's some level of loyalty. I just think that when we're using Fiverr and Uber and all these apps, there's the potential to, well, it's just the algorithm or the machine that's you know not pulling me up or, or my reviews or all this. And there's just this faceless software to, to blame. And so I would hope that as we create these marketplaces to connect talent with need, um, that it is actually providing a connection and not just blind blind numbers. Because I think there's there's a power to reduce bias by letting technology take over some of this. But there's also an isolating factor where you may never see the person that you're working for and that can create some some odd tensions for just general psyche, um, to my mind. But I think if we treat it as a marketplace that connects that talent to the problem solving, uh, I think that could be a very powerful tool, both for gig workers themselves and organizations who choose to implement this internally and externally. Yeah, and you know, there's lots of work out there already that's been done on remote and hybrid workers and how to make them feel inclusive, you know, and part of the team when they're scattered around the world. So once again, you know, there's lots to learn from what we're already doing. Um, Dr. Danielle, let's go to you. Hi, Tom. I just wanted to add one more perspective to this conversation, and that is the perspective of the organization when they have employees who are in the gig economy, but also work for them full time. So for example, I have a couple of clients that I have one who's an architect, but she she finds it very calming to sew. So she's also into fashion and she creates her own clothes and she has she displays them on Instagram and sells them. I have another client who is a senior tax manager, but it that doesn't speak to her creative side. So she does other gigs outside of her full-time full benefit job, and she has a family that she takes care of. So I think that it'll be interesting in the future to see, you know, Jeremy mentioned moonlighting earlier, and that, you know, we had many companies who had policies against that, and you could be fired if found out, right? And so it'll be interesting to see in the future, 
what take companies will have on some of their employees who are also partaking in a gig economy, especially when they're looking at them to be high potentials to have senior leadership positions down the road. You know, you bring up a really good point. And, you know, just to share some of my own experience, you know, taking a position where I'm building arts and culture, you know, I sat down with the organization and said, I'd love to come and help you do this, but I have this side gig. (laughs) And so we discussed it and they were more than happy to get me and my knowledge base and give me an hour or two here to do a work cookie podcast. And, you know, I might have to work an extra hour today to do that, but boy, it's working for me. Uh, So, you know, this is going to grow in that ways too. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Yeah, um, I would like to speak to the result of the gig work on your resume. And that is, you know, how does it look when you said, um, when you've got five companies that you've worked for over the last year and a half, and how does that look these days on your resume? And how does that um, affect your ability to get the job? If you're looking for a job now, you know, because people will go back and forth for between gig economy, full time employment, depending on what they what's going on in their life and, and and where they are. I think it's a lot different now than when it than it was 10 years ago to show that on your company, on your on your resume. One thing that I so it's not as negative as it used to be. I think that one of the things that's really important to show on there is though what what result have you achieved? Just like in any other job, you know, even you know when you're a full time employee, and and I I mentioned this before is you track your impact. You know, you've how you face challenges. What result have you had? You need to do the same thing with your statements for your contract work, your gig economy work, and really show the skill set that you have and the result that you can bring to the table. It's And I caution people over and over again um, is you do not want your resume to read like a job description. Don't tell me what you were responsible for. Um, you can give me a little bit of, you know, I owe whatever it was, two sentences on what your overall responsibility was, but the rest has to be about what you accomplished, what was the result, what was your impact in that organization. So I would say, even though you're, you've got a number of um, positions that you've indicated, I would say, make sure you say contract work there for each one so that somebody understands what the situation, what the actual employment situation was. Um, and if you have several contract work opportunities, you know, that shows me also that you were able to get that work every time and to complete those contracts. So that communicates something to me as well. So it's not the negative that it used to be. And, um, but, but you still do need to show the same things that you would for any other organization. Yeah. Just don't make it look like you weren't able to keep a job for the last year and a half. I had to go from job to job. Uh, Jeremy, our time once again is it goes by so quickly. And here we are with only a few minutes left. Uh, So um, how have we done today? Excellent, as always. I I shouldn't be impressed because I should be just used to this level of everything. But I'll just say I'm impressed because I'm impressed. Uh, and I, I'm glad Linda, Linda Ann, thanks for adding that at the end in terms of, because that's, that's a, a complete and other piece. Um, so that's very, very important. Uh, everyone don't forget Lee, Lee Croson has his, uh, IO pop-up networking. His, the link is in the chat. 
and uh, makes a good point here. We get a, he says we get a lot of students and early career professionals during those IO psychology pop up events. It would be great to get more seasoned professionals for Q and A and mentoring opportunities. So if, if you're here and in the you know practicing established uh, you know working in the IO field, or if you're listening to the podcast, pop in. It's a, it's just rave reviews all the time. Uh, so jump into there. Also, in terms of events coming up, actually, there's something pretty exciting. But first, uh, next week, virtual reality and training and development, redefining learning experiences is the podcast topic for next week. And then on uh, next Tuesday is our CBOC members momentum session. Also, Brandy Duper Macy is starting up a New England or a Northeast uh, region CBOC IO psychology meetup. So the first couple ones of those are, and this is on cbock.com slash events. It's also on LinkedIn. It's free to the public, open to the public. Um, there already seems to be a lot of people going to that. It's, we're going to start opening up these different regions to give people the chance to connect with people in their own regions. And within usually a, probably about a month or two, maybe three months of doing it virtually, then looking at moving to the in-person meetups. Uh, we've also got one. Looks like we'll be starting up a Denver, uh, Denver, Colorado area. One is starting up in November. And I'll throw it out. If there's anyone that wants to start a local, like a regional meetup, let us know. That would be fantastic. And you Canadians have to step up too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. And abroad. So actually, when we put out the when we put out the marketing for this one, there's a little tag on it that says, hey, if you're looking to start up a, your own regional meetup, US based or abroad. So I don't know if Canada would be considered really abroad, but we'll say it's abroad. So yes, if there's anyone in Canada that that wants to do that, absolutely um, get in touch and uh, we'll work together and we'll make that happen. Or just come to my little community for coffee. <laughs> absolutely. Um, anything other? Well, I, I, I was also looking at the future events and IO in space is coming up later in the month. That is. So that, that one's coming up later in the month. And some of you have heard the other podcast that Josh Duran and I have done on IO psychology in space. And so it'll be really interesting to bring this, uh, of course, to the wider group, which will be exciting. And with that, we are pretty much out of time, Jeremy. Yes. And one last note for those here. So if you're if you're listening to this on the podcast, you already see it. But uh, the first seven, eight, nine, ten sessions of the three day event are up on podcast. So those can be found in case anybody missed any of those. Uh, but thank you, everyone. Thank you, Tom and Kenning out in five, four, three, two and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.